in three and two and one. Hi, everybody. Thanks for sitting down today to listen to this podcast with me. I'm Tim Anderson, the appraiser's advocate, and we call this one Things You Really Don't Want to Say. A lot of my practice now is working with other appraisers who find themselves up before state boards or have gotten a snotty letter from a client or maybe even are defendants in a lawsuit. They ask me what it is they need to say when they respond. So what we're going to do in this podcast is go over some of the things you shouldn't say. Now, before we get to that point, please understand that if you do get that letter from the state, if you do get a subpoena, chances are you want to talk to an attorney. You might want to call your E&O people first and see what they say, but you're probably going to have to bring an attorney in. You might also have to bring in a USPAP expert to help you. Now, let's consider what you want to avoid saying when you respond to the state or a court or anything like that. The first thing you want to avoid saying is, I didn't mean to do anything wrong. This admits a lack of competence. That the appraiser probably didn't mean to do anything wrong is basically irrelevant. That the appraiser did engage in some error or another is obvious. Otherwise, the state would not have filed the charge. This statement also essentially admits to the appraiser's guilt by saying, I didn't mean to do anything wrong. But appraisers really don't want to take that step, at least not early in the process anyway. Something else you want to avoid is, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that, that being whatever the state has charged you with. Not to know what it is you're supposed to do or not supposed to do in any given appraisal situation is a direct violation of the competency rule, thus of standard rule one, something you want to avoid. Here's something that I see appraisers say a lot that they really shouldn't, but that's the way I've always done it. This admits to a long-term incompetency. It also applies the appraiser hasn't kept up with the latest techniques, protocols, or thinking in the industry, which is a violation of 1-1A. Relative to cloning reports, I hear this a lot. Well, those statements shouldn't have been in the report. I just cloned an old report and didn't remove the irrelevant parts. I haven't done anything really wrong. This admits to incompetency. Further, it's also likely misleading. Remember, in the certification, the appraiser certifies that, quote, every statement of fact in the report is true and correct, unquote. This is in Standard Rule 2-3. Remember, when a state board considers something misleading, it looks at the results, not the appraiser's intent. And that's right out of the definition of misleading in USPAP. State boards do not concern themselves with intent, but only with results. USPAP is silly. This may be true, quite frankly, but it's not a cogent response to the state's questions. It also shows the appraiser to have an attitude of ignorance and arrogance, not one of teachability. Copying a tude with the state appraisal board or its investigators generally does not make for pleasant days and nights. Another big one is, but my client reviewed the appraisal report and liked it. Well, that's basically irrelevant, too. Is the client really going to turn in an appraisal report that helped it close a deal? 
Further, the client has no metric by which to measure the credibility of an appraisal. Such a statement as this could also imply advocacy or even bias on the part of the appraiser, both of which are violations of Standard 1 and the Ethics Rule. The advocacy lies in that the statement makes it look as if the appraiser appraised the property and then reported the appraisal in a manner to please the client. Another statement I hear a lot is, well, that's why I've got you know insurance. This is true. You probably do. In fact, in some states you have to, otherwise you can't practice real estate appraisal. But this statement is not a demonstration of the logic and the reasoning behind a credible value conclusion. It also isn't an explanation for any errors and omissions. This in and of itself implies incompetency as well as ignorance of the requirements of USPAP for an appraisal, which is the appraisal must be credible, worthy of belief, and the report must be not misleading. I've heard this a few times too. At a crummy fee of, insert relatively low appraisal fee here, what kind of job is it that they expect me to do? For good or ill, the quantity of the appraisal fees is irrelevant in light of USPAP's credibility and due diligence requirements. When the appraiser accepts an appraisal assignment, actually it's when the appraiser agrees to accept an appraisal assignment, that appraiser also promises to follow USPAP standards 1 and 2. This statement from an appraiser, in other words about the fee being too low, also admits to misleading the client as well as an ignorance, in other words a lack of competence, of USPAP and its development and reporting standards. Again, the quantity of the fee is irrelevant to a state appraisal board. Credibility in the appraisal, due diligence in the appraisal, and not misleading in the report are paramount. To raise the issue of fees, especially when the appraiser feels the fee is too low, makes the appraiser look mercenary. That the appraiser underbid the job is neither the client's nor the state's fault, or concern for that matter. Another one is, what's the big deal about highest and best use? It's a house in a residential subdivision. I checked the box. This is true. It is a house. It's in a residential subdivision. It's also true that right now, the concept of a complete highest and best use analysis for a residential house in a tract subdivision is a cause of disagreement, as well as one that appraisal authorities must revisit. And nevertheless, to raise this so-called defense demonstrates incompetency relative to the knowledge of highest and best use, a recognized method and technique necessary to produce a credible appraisal. That ignorance is a major violation of Standard Rule 1-1A, which is an extension of the competency rule. It's also a violation of Standard Rule 1-3A and B, which is the marketability and highest and best use standard. This standards rule specifically addresses the concept of highest and best use, as well as those components of value the appraiser must analyze to arrive at a credible highest and best use conclusion. There are five of them, by the way. It's a violation of Standard Rule 1-4, which requires the appraiser to, quote, collect, verify, and analyze all information necessary, unquote, as part of the appraisal development process. Finally, the definition of a comparable sale is one with the same highest and best use as the subject. In other words, a sale isn't comparable unless it has the same highest and best use as the subject. It's essentially impossible to choose comps without first determining the highest and best use of the subject. Then here's another big one. There were no land sales comps, so I backed into the site's value and the cost approach. What's wrong with that? 
There are six recognized ways by which the appraiser can credibly form an opinion as to the value of the vacant site. Backing into it is not one of them. This statement evidences incompetency relative to Standard Rule 1-1A as well as the six recognized techniques. It's also potentially misleading in that without an explanation to the contrary, the client has the right to expect the appraiser to arrive at a vacant site value via one of those standard six protocols. It's also a potential violation of standard rule 1-3A, the highest and best use standard, in that a vacant site value is a component of the highest and best use analysis this standard rule requires. Another one is, I followed the depreciation tables in XYZ costing service. What do you mean I have to extract depreciation from the market? According to USPAP, there is only one way to calculate accrued depreciation, which is the protocol in Standard Rule 1-4B3. Therefore, this statement about using the depreciation tables in some publication evidences ignorance not only of this particular Standard Rule 1-4B3, but also Standard Rule 1-1A, which speaks to competency, due diligence, etc. Ignorance of the contents of the standards rule is basic incompetency. It's also potentially misleading to the client, since the client has the right to assume the appraiser knows how to extract accrued depreciation from the market, not merely look it up on a grid. This list of defenses serves as but a summary of some of the common excuses with which appraisers defend themselves. Really, they're not defenses. They're all essentially admissions of guilt, as well as indictments of the appraiser's lack of competence in basic real estate appraisal theory and practice, especially in the area of due diligence. Their use may convince the state appraisal board the appraiser engaged in misleading professional behavior as well. That conclusion, on the part of the state, can lead to charges of bias or advocacy. To avoid that indictment is but one reason appraisers should hire competent legal and USPAP counsel to defend them against state charges. And there are more. Finally, remember that Standards Rule 2-3, the eighth bullet point specifically, makes it clear the appraiser has certified to the fact that his or her, quote, analyses, opinions, and conclusions were developed, and this report has been prepared in conformity with USPAP, unquote. This certification must be part of every report that ever goes out an appraiser's door. Yet, if the appraiser certifies to something that is not true and correct, which is what the first part of Standard Rule 2-3 says. If indeed the appraiser did not comply with USPAP in the formation of the value conclusion, as well as in its reporting, then the appraiser has at worst lied and, at best, made a serious misrepresentation. Again, a charge by the State Appraisal Board is serious, thus worthy of a vigorous, professional, well-prepared defense. Please, don't do this by yourself. Retain and pay the necessary experts in law and USPAP. Those professionals who can assist in your defense are ready, willing, and able to provide you with the legal assistance and USPAP counsel you're going to need. Take advantage of their professional help, knowing you're going to have to pay them, but knowing their fees for their services are not only reasonable operating expenses, they're also an investment in your own professional continuing education and well-being. Eventually, you may end up signing that consent agreement, but you'll take that step only after a spirited defense.
Again, I appreciate you sitting down with me today to listen to this podcast. I'm Tim Anderson, the appraiser's advocate. If I can ever be of help to you, be it with USPAP, appraisal protocols, you just need to rant, please get in touch with me. My email address is tim at theappraisersadvocate.com. It will be an honor to consult with you. Please let me extend my personal best to you and your family. Oh, and by the way, I forgot. Are your professional fees high enough? Now we're clear.